Thank you for downloading this audio sermon of our previous Sunday's message. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Alan McCory at Open Bible Fellowship. For more information, go to our website at openbiblefellowship.com. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll start. Father, thank you, Lord, for singing about the fact that you are our rock in which we stand upon in the midst of trials. We thank you, Lord, that that's true. And we just pray, Lord, now as we open the word that you would continue to uh, just speak to our hearts and comfort us, minister to us, allow us, Lord, to respond in worship. And so, Lord, just continue to bless us by your spirit and illuminate your word to us now, Father. You are a great God, and we thank you that we have this privilege of worship. And help us, Lord, to gain a grasp of your glory now, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a saying that goes a little something like this. When life throws you lemons, make lemonade out of it. Something like that. You know what I mean? That kind of a saying. Or Yeah. Is it close? Okay. It's a fun little saying. It kind of means, you know, when some uncertain trouble comes along, do something good, make something positive out of it. It's a nice saying. Completely theologically incorrect, but it's a nice saying because our life is not the result of randomness. Our life is not the result of bad luck, of just some unfortunate accident, and then God has to do take it and somehow turn it around for us to make something good come out of it. That's not the way life is. And so what we need to do is understand that we have a God who loves us and wants you and I to take the situations that we are find ourselves in today and use them by his strength that he has brought into our lives, he has brought into our lives, so that we would be more like Christ. So let's take our Bibles and turn over to Mark chapter 4. We are concluding the fourth chapter of Mark, and we want to look at this story where Jesus calms a storm with his disciples as they we're carrying on. And we have to understand that this passage was very important. It wasn't just some random storm that came along. I think God sovereignly ordained this storm for a purpose. And I would like to say that the things that I am going through in my life God could instantly remove, God could instantly resolve, he could give you the money I need, he could give you the health you need, he could give you the, 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 the friendships you need, he could resolve the family situations that you are find yourself in, he could resolve your school problems, he could get you into that school or take you out of that situation. God could just clean up all your mess. But what kind of believer would you end up to be? You would end up to be a spoiled, immature, ungodly person. Ungodly in the sense that you would not have a grasp of who God is. And so what we find ourselves in is a realization, as I've often said, that the way I mature is not by coming to church. It's not by necessarily just reading my Bible. The way I mature is by the faithful perseverance and the faithful perseverance through the difficult times in my life. In other words, when you find yourself in a storm 
and you were able to take that knowledge of God and put it into practice in such a way that it allows you to grow thereby from it, this is how we mature as believers. And see, one of the problems is we have this idea today that what we want God to do is give me all the money I need, give me all the, you know, and take away all the problems. And the Lord looks at your life and says, I'm not going to do that to you because you're going to end up to be immature and spoiled. You wouldn't do that to your kids, right? You would, you would hate to have, be able just to, every time they want something, just give them the money or take it, you know, because they end up to be very immature. And so here we have the passage here of the Lord with his disciples in the storm. And we want to go through this. What we want to do is look at how they, that being the disciples in the boat, perceived who the Lord was and what it revealed about where they were spiritually. And from that, ask ourselves, do we have the true understanding that Christ is our rock? Or do we just say it? Or do we really live by it? So let's turn there. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It starts at, on that day when evening had come. Now this is one of the Bibles, what we call the long day of the Lord. In other words, there are recorded something. So really, when did that day begin? It began in chapter 3, verse 13. And so everything through chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 happened on the same day. So when the Lord chose his 12, and then his mothers and brothers, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit all the parables, the confrontation with the apostles. That was all the same day. That was a long day. The Lord was like battled continually through that day. So physically, he was exhausted. And it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side, to Galilee. So they were on the west side, and they were going to cross over to the east side. Now, did he need to do that? Well, from a human perspective, it was a, a wise thing to do because what it did, it got Jesus away from the crowds. But even as it says here, they still followed him in boats. There was still, a, there was still a, a group that were like, let's jump in our boats and follow him. Obviously, he would be the lead boat if they're trying to get across the, the Sea of Galilee. And it says in verse 36, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. That means he was exhausted, he was tired, he was worn out. And other boats were with him, so they were still chasing him. Now again, they weren't chasing him because there was a genuineness of their love, as much as it, they wanted to see some miracle. Like, show us another trick. Tell us something nice. Confront the Pharisees one more time in front of us. And who was in the boat with the Lord? Well, there were his 12, the ones he had already chosen. And it says this, Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, the amazing thing about this is just from a natural geography perspective, this was something that could naturally occur. The way the sea was and the valleys and the hills, um, the wind could sweep up at any moment and the wind could resolve and to bring up a great storm. However, nothing is a randomness that happens. God is not just simply a bystander to the human world and watches things happen and jumps in occasionally to resolve a problem. He 
He doesn't make lemonade out of lemons. Rather, he gives the lemons, and then he uses those things, if you want to say it that way, to produce that which glorifies him. And so this storm was, I believe, a God-ordained incident with his disciples in the boat so that those disciples would be confronted with the issue of what do you really think about Jesus? I know what you say, I know what you act out, I know what you believe, but what do you really believe when trouble hits your life? What do you really believe about who Jesus is? And so one of the things we have to realize is that Everything that Christ works in our lives is for a purpose. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me just read this to you. That God works all things according to the purpose of him, according to the counsel of his will. In other words, what God does is not just take what you have in your life and try to resolve the best situation out of it. What God does in your life it's move you to a place where you can be more like Christ. Now, so this is a great thing because we say, well, God loves me. Yes, God loves me. But when we talk about the love of God as an attribute, we got to stay away from this, this concept that God is a big teddy bear in the sky because that's wrong. And we got to stay away from the idea that God somehow is a pushover as well. We have to have a biblical understanding of love and how God expresses his love. And the way that God expresses his love towards his redeemed children, that you and I who know Christ as our saviors, if you know Christ, if you've repented of your sins, if you turn to Christ, the way God expresses his love to you is this. He desires you to be more like Christ. He doesn't express his love to you by taking all your problems away. He, he expresses his love to you by making you more like Christ. I would rather get to heaven dirt poor having lived a life that honored the Lord than get to heaven with all the material possessions that this world could offer me and yet heavenly lived an immature life of disobedience from the Lord. So God wants you to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way he does express that love to you is that he allows you to grow and to mature. And the way I grow and mature as a Christian is by proving my faithfulness and my devotion and my obedience to Him. And 99% of the time, it is through the difficult times in my life when I persevere and I wait upon the Lord. We just sang about that. Right? We just sang, I, I listened to the words as we sang because I knew what I was going to be talking about. When you wait upon the Lord, that's when we grow. That's when we mature. That's even more than that. That's when I get the opportunity to say to the Lord, I really do trust you, Lord. It's not just a bunch of talk. Because talk is cheap. But when I have to really put that into action in my life, that's when I mature and grow. And it's hard. And I wish God would just kind of wave some wand over my life. I'm sure God could, you know, you wish God could wave some wand and boom, all my problems are gone and all my life is rosy and everything. But God doesn't want to do that to you. In fact, the exact opposite. God will bring the storms into your life 
so that you can trust him and mature in him to be the way he wants you to be. That's how he expresses his love to you. Not by making you a spoiled, immature Christian, but by making you a rich, mature, deep Christian. Now, just from a personal experience, and I've told you this story before, um, when I started out in the ministry, um, I remember going to visit this dear old lady, and I thought I was the young, cocky pastor. You know, I was 23, 24 years old. I was there to bestow some great spiritual wisdom on this dear old lady. And it took me about three minutes to realize that I felt like a, you know, <laughs> sort of like blah. And she was rich, and she, her faith was great, and her spiritual life would just beamed. But then when we started talking about her life, like tell me a little bit about yourself. She had the worst life you'd ever want to imagine. She had children that died. She had lost her home, all these horrible things that she went through. And I'm sitting there going, that doesn't sound like that's that very good. But what she said to me was, I trusted the Lord through every situation. And then all of a sudden it kind of clicked on me that godliness is what's developed through that faithful perseverance. I never forgot her. And I realize how true that is in our lives. God shows his love to us by bringing storms into our lives so that we can mature and prove to him our love. So here's what happens. They cross the, they cross the sea, and in verse 37, a great windstorm arose. It was not an unnatural thing, an unnatural thing to happen, but the timing, the situation was perfect for the Lord to do what he was there to do. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the whole boat was already filling. Now, who was in the boat? Well, you say of the twelve. Okay? But you also have in that boat Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And what were they by trade? Fishermen. Where did they grow up? On that exact sea. From the time that they could walk, they were in their parents' boats, their father's boats. They were sons of Zebedee. They grew up in that. Their fathers probably grew up in that trade. They fished that every day of their life. They were professional uh, sailors. And they were terrified. So it gives you an indication how vicious this storm must have been. If it had been any less of a vicious storm, if it had been just, you know, it's a pretty rough storm, those guys wouldn't have been brought to the place of testing. The Lord had to bring such a violent storm onto the situation that even Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the professional fishermen, were brought to their knees in terror. So, kind of feel sorry for the other guys in the boat who weren't fishermen at all. <laughs> they were really in panic, I bet. Anyhow. And then love, I love verse 38, talking where Christ was. But he was in a stern asleep on a cushion. Now, picture that. There's, there's a, if my mind can grasp the picture of such a ferocious storm that even these professional sailors were brought to panic, and Jesus was asleep on some big, kind of, a, kind of like a dog mat, you know what I mean, by a big round cushion on the floor. Jesus was asleep. Now you say, well, he was asleep because of the, uh, the stress of the day. Yeah, but it's kind of hard to sleep through that kind of a storm. 
right? Because it wasn't just like he would dry. The waves would have been coming over and the waves would have been coming over. So physically he would have been soaked. So it wasn't just simply that Jesus was so exhausted that he was sleeping. I think that's really understating the situation. The Lord purposely placed himself in a situation where he was at peace and they were in panic. And they turned, I am sure, as I can picture this, as, as the waves were coming over and the boats being filled, and these professional fishermen are doing everything they can to lash down the ropes and the sails and, and to keep this thing afloat in this hurricane that was hitting them at this time. They kept glancing over, and Jesus is sleeping. Maybe he's dead, you know? It's like, he's got to be dead. There's no way he can be alive and get through, you know? And they're watching this. And then finally, they cried out. And they awoke him and said to him, now picture what they said, Teacher, not Lord, literally Rabboni or Rabbi, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Wow. So picture that. The storm the dark skies, the wave coming over the boat, and Jesus is lying there. And I guarantee you, as I tried to picture this in my mind, as they're ro roping down everything, as they're trying to keep the boat afloat, they kept looking at Jesus, they kept looking at and he's sleeping. I guarantee you, they were ticked off by the fact that he wasn't doing more for them. The reason they said what they said, the primary reason for that was because of the fact they expected Jesus to be doing something to solve their problem, and he wasn't. He was purposely sleeping. And they were ticked off by the fact that Jesus was just lying there. Like, come on. So let me ask you that very simple question. Do you find yourself right now in a situation in your life where you're kind of ticked off at Jesus because he's not answering your prayers when you think he should be? When he's not bringing a solution to your life when you know he could? When he's not getting up and doing something to resolve your storm? Do you find that you've caught yourself saying those exact same things to Jesus? I have. It's like a, it's, it comes over me like a flash of anger. Lord, because I expect more from him. I'm your child, you know, Lord. I expect more from you. So what they said and what they did was what I do. We're ticked off. But what they said was horrendous, and I don't ever want to hear those words out of your mouth. Rather than saying, Lord, Lord, they demoted Jesus and said, teacher. Now, the, the wording is so important here in Scripture, because all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And, and, the, and the, the term tells us a magnitude of things. That you can be with Jesus all day long. And, I, and I'm not talking about reading about Jesus in the Bible. I'm talking about you are with Jesus. You're with him. You hear him. 
You see him. You touch him. You physically touch him. And yet when life's problems come, all you call him a teacher? What does that tell you about your relationship with him? And, and we're not talking about just some ordinary Jewish person on the shore. This wasn't Jill the Jew or Bob the Jew or John the Jew. This was Peter, Andrew, James, and John and all the others. These were the, these were the, the apostles, the cream of the crop, who the Lord had spent all night in prayer and prayed for and personally chosen to be the ones who would carry on the church. And they address the Lord simply as rabbi, teacher. Now, one of the, one of the things that happens in my life, and, and I hate it, is when I find myself upset, frustrated, frustrated, let's just say that, that I think God should do more for me and he's not. It's like walking up to me and going, here's a mirror, Alan, look at yourself. And there, see your spiritual health? I'm like... Uh, yeah, I know. And you're the pastor. You should have a little more faith in that. And I'm like, okay, I know. But you're not any different. You're the ones that are out running clubs and DG groups. And you're the ones that are witnessing to your friends and telling your other friends. You know, you put yourself in a place of spiritual influence. And God puts a mirror in front of your face and says, but look how you act when you go through troubles. You're not as big as you think you are, are you? Like, uh, yeah, I know. I know, Lord. But the problem here was they didn't call him Lord. And the reason they didn't call him Lord was because in the depths of their heart, that wasn't settled. And and when it's not settled, it's not what comes out in a time of tragic, time, uh, tragic need. It wasn't settled in their hearts. So this is so critical that you guys understand this. When you talk about the fact that you know Christ is your Savior, and when you talk about the fact that Jesus has forgiven your sins, like, do you really mean it? Like, is that just a bunch of talk, 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 theology, theology, theology? You know, I went to church and this is what I heard. Is, is, is it just a bunch of head knowledge? Is that all we're saying? It's head knowledge? Because the, the time it's going to be revealed is in the storm of your life. Now, we can think of a lot of illustrations, but instantly I think of Horatio Spatford when he wrote, you know, when sea bills roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul after his wife and children had drowned. Was that talk? No. Because in the midst of sorrow in his life, he was able to take the truth and apply it and make it the foundation for his response. You see, Christian maturity and the reality of Christ in your life is revealed in the storm times. It's not revealed on Sunday morning times. Because everyone looks good on Sunday morning. Everyone's perky on Sunday morning. We sing songs to make you bouncy and perky, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Everyone looks good on Sunday morning, at least on the surface. The reality of where Christ is in your life is how you respond when you're in panic and expect Jesus to do more for you. And they say, teacher, not Lord. 
do you not care we are perishing? And look what's happened. Look at verse 39. And he awoke. You see, what grabs the Lord's attention is that. It's like fail. Oh, man. Did I really say that? Yep. Yep. Lord, do you not care? Now, listen. I understand because sometimes the situation, the problem, the overwhelming trouble, whatever it is, the, the stress that you are under, but don't ever, 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 ever assume that the God who saved you from eternity of hell and brought you to the kingdom of light and has adopted you into his family forever and has given you a spiritual place where he's raised you up with Christ and seated you in the heavenly realm doesn't care. Don't ever think that. In fact, those words are the words that woke Jesus up. The storm didn't wake Jesus up. The waves coming over the boat didn't wake Jesus up. The tossing of the ship didn't wake Jesus up. It was the words, don't you care? Boom, he's awake. Wow, that woke him up. Because like, how dare you ask that? But look what Jesus does. Rather than saying, you idiots, which I would have done, what he does, verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. In other words, he awoke Instead of looking at those disciples and said, <laughs> he turned to their problem and resolved their problem. That's how loving God is for you. Because the Lord knows I'm a very weak person. And the Lord knows that the stress in my life overwhelms me. And God knows my limit. And God knows that I'm my physical stress. And God knows that I'm under turmoil. And so out of his grace and his love, rather than slap me on the side of the head and saying, fail, he doesn't do that. The grace and the love of God is so great, he looks at you and goes, all right, calm the storm down. In fact, what he actually says is this, peace, be muzzled, the literal translation is, or be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. In other words, just to put it in perspective, storm, 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 boom, flat as glass. Like it wasn't like, oh, look, the sun is coming out now. It's getting brighter. It wasn't any of that. It was like, boom, storm's gone. Because he has the authority to do that. And he stepped in and he did it. Because he has that authority. And God has the authority at any point in time to step into your life and boom, resolve it. And he, sometimes he does. Let me just say that. Sometimes God does that. But he does it out of a desire to mature me. And when he heard them saying, don't you care, at that point he realized, okay, we need to stop. And he rebuked the wind and the wind stopped. And there was a great calm. And then he says two things to them. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Two comments. Why are you so afraid? Okay, so let's look at that. Here I am, a believer in Christ. My life is not turning out the way I want it to. 
things are, are just overwhelming me. I can't sleep at night. I have this great stress in my life. I have people that, that are hurting me or attacking me or whatever. Whatever, 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 whatever. You know what your problem, you know what it is in your life. And God looks at you and says, why are you panicking? Because ultimately, as a believer in Christ, that is the one thing that we should never have to do is panic. Why? Because Jesus is the guy that's in the boat with me. Jesus is not on the shore watching me sink. Jesus is in the boat with me. So what, what are you afraid of? Because fear, as a believer in Christ, is a total breakdown of your confidence in who Christ is. That's what it is. It's a total breakdown of your confidence in Christ. But he's in the boat with you. Jesus is like, I'm in the boat with you guys. What more do you want? Now, f just from a very, I always find this very funny because I think, you know, I can just imagine the newspaper headlines. Jesus, the guy prophesied in the Garden of Eden, Abraham, Cameron, Noahic Covenant, you know, blah, 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 Isaiah prop died in a boating accident yesterday. It's like, oh, wow, born of a virgin, died of a boating accident. Jesus was not going to drown. They were not going to go under, right? There was no possibility of that boat sinking and them all dying. There was no possibility of that. And you know what? When I look at my life, is there any possibility that I am going to fail? No, because I don't like the turmoil. But ultimately, there's no possibility. I'm not losing my salvation. I'm not going back to the kingdom of darkness again. I'm not losing anything that God has given me. He still entrusted me with spiritual gifts and fruit and all sorts of things. Nothing critical is going to happen. Like, stop and look at the perspective. Jesus is the guy in the boat with me. My panic is a total breakdown of my confidence in Jesus. And to that I need to greatly realize I don't have as much trust in him as maybe I tell people I do. Or I think I do. Because I just revealed it very clearly to the Lord. And then the second question is, oh ye little faith, or where's your faith? The problem with them on this issue was, A, Jesus is in the boat with you, but the faith was, do you not expect Jesus to take care of you when he's promised that he would watch over you? He's promised he would take care of you. And I'm, when I was at the retreat a couple weeks ago, I, I preached on my favorite psalm, uh, Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's easy to memorize that. It's easy to repeat that. But, do, but is that really in my heart? The Lord is my shepherd, and therefore there's nothing else I need. There's nothing else I need. Now, if that is truly ingrained as your quality personality, like do you, if you really have that as the foundation of your life, then the reality is, what can really go wrong here? So let's stop for a second, and I want you to spend a couple seconds and think about this.
Think about the situation in your life that you are being treated unjustly about or that you are not receiving what you want or you are not getting what you think God should give you or whatever the situation is. Think about it for a second and ask yourself this very simple question. If it never gets resolved, if it never gets resolved, are you still going to love the Lord Jesus? Is it going to affect your relationship with Christ for forever? No, it's not. Yeah, I'd be ticked off and disappointed, but that's so human of me. But it's really not going to change anything. Because I still love you, Lord. And you'll still take care of me. And you will still lead me where you want me to be. Because the Word of God tells me that God has prepared a, for me a, a specific job and a purpose. He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. And I'll still get there, whatever that is. So, oh, ye of little faith, because you doubt the fact that the Lord will take care of you, even if the storm doesn't resolve itself, even if your problem doesn't get better. Now, when the Lord said this to them, look what it says in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, <laughs> that's kind of funny, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Now, who was saying this? The twelve. When I talk about some group of nobodies, it's the twelve. And they said among themselves, who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And it's like, if the apostles didn't get it, well, the reason the apostles didn't get it was because of this. Listen to this. Everything they had learned of Jesus was all up here in their head. And it, and it wasn't here. And somehow you have to, you have to take that, yes, I believe God is sovereign. Yes, I believe God is in control. Yes, I believe he's God Almighty. Yes, I believe he controls the winds and the storms and the seas. Yes, I believe all the Psalms that says the earth is the Lord's and all contains the world and all who dwell in it. Psalm 115, verse 3. Yes, I believe Proverbs 21. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he directs it like a water course whichever way he pleases. Yes, I believe Psalm 24, verse 1, uh, where it talks about God is... Uh, I just forgot where it's, Forgot it. Uh, but I, I, <laughs> I believe those verses. Um, but then... How come I'm not applying them to my life right now? See, God looks at you and says, where I want you to be is I want you to be mature enough to say, yes, Lord, I'm going through a horrible trouble, but I'm on a rock. I'm standing on a rock. And that rock that I'm standing on is solid. And so, yeah, let the windstorm come. I'll be here because I'm not budging from that rock because that rock is firm. See, that's how you mature. That's how much God loves you. God loves you so much, he wants you to be firmly established on a rock that is immovable. So you've got to take all this truth that you know of up here and you've got to make it the foundation of how you respond and live and act. And that's how you become a mature Christian.
And so even though I don't want to go through the storm, and those guys didn't want to go across the water in the middle of that storm, the Lord purposely took that event, created the event, and used the event to show them you're not as spiritual as you think you are, but I'll get you there. I'll get you there. And what we're going to do is we're going to make those truths of what you know in your head to become the foundation to which you stand on. So that next time, you're going to stand there and say, Lord, I trust you. So here's what I want you to do. First of all, I want to see you guys, all of us, including myself, I want to see us get to a place in your life where you are able to say and mean these words. Lord, despite whatever my situation is, I trust you. That's where I want you to get to. Despite my situation, regardless of my situation, Lord, I trust you. And then maybe today we need to say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me when I'm ticked off at you because that's just, that's just so immature. And I honestly feel humbled at how immature I really am. But Lord, next time it won't be this bad again. Because next time I'm going to take this event and use it as a basis to trust you in a greater way. God loves you so much. He wants you to be like Christ. And that's why we're here to worship him this morning. We worship him because he cares for you. And you need to understand that, that is the pinnacle of his love for you. So praise God that he's there in the boat with you. And praise him that he's able to take away any problem that you face. And praise him that while you go through it, he is in control of how much that storm is and how deep that storm is and how violent that's, and he can remove it at any time. But please, I beg you, do not question his authority. Do not question his love for you. Do not question how much he cares for you. And then just say, Lord, thank you that you're still there in the boat with me. Okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Abba, Lord, forgive me, Lord, when I panic over situations that I shouldn't be panicking over. Areas of my life that either I haven't given over to you or I have, but I still want to hold on to them. And I've revealed myself to you that I'm not as mature as I say I am. But that's not to say, Lord, I won't be. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what I go through, the Lord is my shepherd. And ultimately, there's nothing else I need.
Thank you, Lord, that Christ is always at my side. Thank you, Lord, that he can and does resolve situations. And no matter what happens, I lose nothing in my stance with him. I'm still your child. I'm still gifted by the Spirit of God. I'm still greatly loved by you. I'm still blessed by you in so many other ways. And Father, forgive me when I get ticked off at you because I don't think you're treating me right. So, so selfish of me. And Father, I pray that all I know of you will truly be the foundation that I stand on. It just becomes part of my life. Let me prove it again to you, Lord. Give me another opportunity to prove to you that I've matured, that indeed I'm not going to be a swayed next time as I am perhaps now. And Lord, I pray that in your eyes you would be pleased by seeing the growth of your saints. And Lord, I pray finally, make me more like Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask, and for his glory, amen.